Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for us to settle in for a chat on Life with Gwen, a half-hour lifestyle show from the Cape Cod Times on the Facebook Live device. So you can settle in and have your lunch and chat with us now. You can call us, um, actually, what decade am I in? Not call. You can type in any questions you might have or comments, or you can catch us later on at capecodtimes.com, Life with Gwen. Speaking of lunch, you might have noticed that we have a special treat today. We have this beautiful, beautiful display, and we're going to introduce you now to the person who's responsible for this. It's coming up to Super Bowl, so we decided to get some help from the pros. With us today is executive chef Michael J. Pillarella. He said it's like Cinderella, so hopefully I'll get it right throughout the whole thing, but maybe I can just call you chef. That'll work just fine. <laughs> he is from, um, he is the executive chef at the Wiano Club, and he has, when we asked him to share a Super Bowl recipe, he came up with this beautiful spread. Can you tell us a little bit about what you brought in? Sure, absolutely. And first off, thank you, Gwen, for having us here. This is a fantastic opportunity for me. I truly appreciate it. Uh, what we did here is a very simple uh, roasted pork dish. It's char sweet pork uh, with an Asian cabbage slaw, a little bit of cilantro, and a little bit of hoisin as well. Uh, char sweet pork is a traditional roasted pork. But in this case, for ease of use and also for my ease, we used a crock pot. So it became a crock pot dish for us. And could I show people? Sure, absolutely. Okay. So, absolutely. oh, this is warm. And I have to tell you, this is a beautiful studio. I'm so grateful for the people here at the, the paper who built it. But I, I wish we lived in an age of smell vision because this smells <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. And uh, can you guys all see that? Hold it up a little bit. Well, that's heavy. It's, uh, There's a lot of pork in there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we so make anyway. a, a lovely dish. I used a pork shoulder. Uh, you can use a pork butt as well. And um, it's just a great dish. We put it in the slow cooker overnight, 16 hours on, on low in your slow cooker. It's ready to go by game time. Nice and easy. Top it with a little bit of hoisin sauce, a nice cabbage slaw, some cilantro if you like. And it's a nice, easy dish ready to go. And this is a, a great week for pork because I noticed it's on sale at several local grocery stores. It's one of the um, the items that I like to use. You're taking a very inexpensive cut of meat, maybe $9 for an entire pork butt, $11 maybe for an entire pork butt. Um, and you cook it down in the slow cooker and it just comes out absolutely fantastic and tender. It's an economical meal with great flavor. And that's what I like to use at home. It's a very similar dish to our, what I would cook at home. In the restaurant, we might fancy it up a little bit. But for um, for most folks, this is a great Super Bowl game day food. And and it's perfect. It's, you know, maybe five bites, six bites, depending on how big your bites are. Sure. So, you know, it's a perfect uh I would say two food. bites for me, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe five or six for the rest. <laughs> so they're just, uh, yeah, just little sliders. Little sliders you can pick them, up yeah. for, pick them up for a snack. Um, great munchy food for the um, for the Super Bowl. I did want to mention to all of you out there that if you um, – if you didn't get to write down that recipe, which went by kind of quickly, uh, you can check out today's food page because Chef was kind enough to share it in advance, and we do have uh, the recipe for these sliders on today's food page, as well as some other recipes for Super Bowl. 
Have you, uh, do you get invited to a lot of Super Bowl parties? I do actually, I wouldn't know about a lot, but I do have a few to go to. However, we usually stay at home with my family. I watch the game with my kids and kind of just sit back and really enjoy the game. One thing we do do, however, is we do make a tremendous amount of food from barbecue portion, pork nachos to perhaps this recipe to different dips and such. Um, it's a great day at home for the family. It is. Um, that was my next question, very mm -hmm. naturally. And this fits in very naturally as well. One of our viewers, Joseph uh, Elia, uh, is asking, what is Chef's favorite Super Bowl dessert? Oh, that's, that's absolutely easy. Um, there's two things that I, that I really love is uh, a bread pudding. Anytime you make a wonderful bread pudding with warm, uh, you know, warm bread pudding with some vanilla ice cream, absolutely fantastic. And I'll go back to the ice cream again, uh, hot fudge sundae with ice cream and all the fixings and toppings. And a lot of times we'll, we'll do, even at my house, a little ice cream sundae buffet. So you have the little toppings and your Oreos and your hot fudge, make your own sundae. What's better than that? Oh, wow. Could you leave your address? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're more than welcome. We're more than we're right in Marston's Mills. Come on by. It'd be happy to have you. I have to sure. tell you, um, I, I can't confess this because no one will ever speak to me on the Cape again. I'm, I'm not a huge football fan. <laughs> I get involved when it gets to this level where it's really exciting, and I love the parties. Right. But uh, now, have you? Um, are there other um, other dishes that you especially like, or? Conversely, things that you avoid because they're just hard to serve and, and uh, you want to be able to visit with your guests and, and watch the game. I think, uh, you know, a Super Bowl party is meant to be casual and fun. And sometimes if the, the appetizers, the hors d'oeuvres get a little messy and ooey-gooey with the cheese, that's the time to do it because it's, it's really about uh, just very good food. Um, some things that I, I really enjoy is any type of dip. Um, people, you know, with the potato chips, nice, you can make fresh make fresh made pita, uh, pita chips, um, you know, make your own hummus if you want, or just buy the store-bought, and it's fantastic as well. And uh, some of the things I involve, uh, I avoid, are the items that take too much time to build at the last minute. You want to have everything ready, preset, so you can enjoy your family and enjoy the game. I think that's important. I think so, too, and, and I am guilty of that. I, I try to do too many fancy things. Yep. I'll bet a lot of home cooks do that. They do, and I think they wait to the last minute to assemble stuff. Anything you can do in the crock pot, a quick reheat. It's You're there to spend time with your family and friends, not to be putting the food together, not to be chained to the kitchen. You just want to make something simple but delicious. And I think So you can important. have a good time as well. Absolutely, yeah, because right. you don't want to miss the fun. And on the other hand, um, you know, it is fairly easy. When I first saw the photograph you sent in, mm -hmm. and beautiful photograph, by the thank way, you. you know, very nicely done, thank styled you. like this, and and, and uh, clear. Thank you for letting us use it. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, but um, when I saw the photograph, I thought, uh-oh, that looks hard. And Couldn't be simpler. And, and then just go, I can just go through the rundown briefly on the recipe. It's, it's basically you use the marinade ingredients as your cooking liquid as well. So you marinate it overnight or for a couple hours, four hours or so, put it in the crock pot, add the liquid, and just let it go. You kind of the set it and forget it approach. The next morning or eight hours later, depending how you cook it, it's ready to be taken out, shredded up put on some slider rolls, and you can top it with absolutely anything you want, from carrot slaw to here we have a red Asian slaw, parsley, scallions, anything that fits uh, 
the kind of the Asian uh, theme of, of the recipe, but it's, it's, it couldn't be simpler. It really couldn't. It's not Asian, but I've noticed that there's been a big push in advertising those uh, slightly sweet Hawaiian rolls. Have mm. you seen those? I have seen them, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of them. Would that um, work with this, do you think? I think or? they would work perfectly. What we're using today is a potato roll. I'm a big fan of the potato rolls. You yeah, can nice find them in moist. the shop. They're yeah. moist. They're soft. But that uh, the Hawaiian roll has a very similar texture, a very similar taste, and they would go fantastic with this. No I, I was thinking about it because they're a little bit sweet, mm -hmm. and, and the marinade is a little sweet with mm -hmm. the rice wine and everything. Yep. So it uh, seemed like it might be a good choice. That would seem choice. like an excellent fit. That That's would a... be an excellent fit. Now, we um, had planned to – oh, we have a question before we, um, before we move on. Sure. From Matt Woods and uh, – not sure I understand this question, but he says, what's the best offsetting flavor for carrot cake? I'm going to take that to read what is the best uh, contrasting flavor. Yes, okay. Yeah, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I think you go with the classic. The first thing that pops into your head is the cream cheese frosting. You have the nice richness of, of the carrot cake, but that, that cream cheese frosting has got the sweetness, the tanginess of it. I think it's a, fan, it's, it's a classic. You can't argue with the classics. It sounds Fantastic. good. I'm a big fan of carrot cake. You know, Me too. you have the virtue of feeling like there's a vegetable in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I like the way you think. I like you know. the way you think. That sounds great. Well, when we were testing wine for New Year's, we, we were going on the assumption that, uh, as the singer Jimmy Buffett says, um, it's five o'clock somewhere. Of even course, it was noon here. Of course. <laughs> so we do do some wine tastings in the business, and they usually happen at ten in the morning. But you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. So That's right. It is and once sure. you get into the kitchen and start working, the adrenaline just douses everything. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that I was interested in talking to you about is, uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you because you have had some really impressive uh, um, awards that you've won recently and some endeavors that you're working on. Sure. So um, the American Culinary Federation, you've become, in the past uh, a few years, you've mm -hmm. become uh, certified as, and you've become a certified executive chef. Yes, and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what that involves and why you pursued that. Sure. Um, the American Culinary Federation is basically the authority of chefs on America, in America. Um, it's the governing body for all our chefs. It's, it's the association and group that we all belong to. And really the premise is education. It's really all about education and professional development. So any certification you seek, um, anything along those lines that you do for the ACF really has education at heart. And that's one of the most uh, important things for me, being a chef uh, for a long time. I've always enjoyed education, learning, you know, to, there's so much that you can learn in this industry, and it happens every day. Um, the process involves basically a, a lot of education, if you will. I have my bachelor's degree from Johnson & Wales University. So right, I have so a this is like a, a degree. You know, you know, going on for your master's. It uh, is a it's different a, uh, higher education, you know, a different level. It is, so. and it, it, the education is coupled with industry experience, um, and with that industry experience, um, become uh, comes the certification levels, and you need to take tests in order to do that, and you also need to do practical testing, which means basically you have one hour to prepare four different courses. Um, of an entree, salad, and appetizer, and then prepare them for judges who critique you and let you know if you're at their standard or not. So it's a standardization across uh, the country for chefs in America. 
They should film that because uh, that sounds very familiar in terms <laughs> of many uh, uh, network shows, Food Network and, it, and Create. It is, and it is very familiar, and I, I think that, uh, one of the wonderful things about it is the educational feedback that you get from the judges. Um, they just don't tell you you did something wrong. They tell you how you could do it better or what they would do in that situation. And so any of these type practical events uh, that you, you take for education um, turn into a wonderful learning experience that you can take with you. And, and then you have for your resume and uh, you have that CEC, which is the designation mm -hmm. that goes with it. I'm going to stop for a moment. We have a, a message from uh, Jane Reed Wilson, who is one of my Philly friends. And I feel a little guilty as I read this because I think today's food page was skewed a bit towards the Patriots. So um, sorry, Jane. She says she's a former mass resident living in Philly and uh, she's uh, she's going to be making coconut Excellent. shrimp. Excellent. I love coconut. I love coconut shrimp. Again, you can put them with a beautiful, put them with a beautiful dipping sauce. Fantastic little snack. Now, uh, is is there like an easy, basic way to do that? Because uh, I um, I know that uh, I was surprised. Not your place, of course. Not many restaurants, but I was surprised at the various fancy food shows to see how many um, that that is one of the the uh, appetizers that sometimes comes frozen. Um, it does. Yeah. So I was wondering about if you wanted to not go that route mm -hmm. and uh, make it at home from, you know, fresh shrimp. Sure. Um, it's a, it's a, basically what we call in the business a standard breading procedure, which means you start with your beautiful product, the shrimp. Uh, you put them in a little bit of flour, put them in a little bit of egg, and then put them into breadcrumbs normally. But this in this case, we'd use a mixture of about 75% coconut and 25% breadcrumb. And once you make them, they freeze perfectly. If you lay them out on a, on a sheet uh, cookie tray, put them in the freezer, they'll freeze perfectly. You can bag them up and use them as you need them. But mm -hmm. they're, they're very, very simple uh, okay. to make. I do want to mention that. I'm pretty sure you're talking about shelling the shrimp and, sure. and, yes, and deveining it. You absolutely, know, yes. Or if you really want to do it, I, I try to get the deveined ones anyway, so you don't have to do all that cleaning. And but leaving the tails on for presentation. Absolutely, that's that's correct. I missed those steps. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting. We're so blessed. I'm so blessed to talk to to talk to chefs, and they know so much. They sometimes, you know, you have to remind them that we don't all know that. Um, so uh, start when you start. You start with raw shelled shrimp with the tail left on mm -hmm. pretty easy to do your hands will get a little cold as you're doing it yes and uh and then you move through the steps that you just this, described the classic standard burning procedure a uh, flour egg and then whatever you want to finish with the coconut mm -hmm. and the breadcrumbs and why don't you do the very last step which is if you're cooking them that day what uh you know are you Frying, deep frying, sure. generally, um, generally, they're. I think they're best deep fried. Uh, a pot of oil at home, not to fill it too high. Three hundred and fifty degrees on the uh, oil, and probably about five to seven minutes. Um, that uh, that would be the easiest way, I think, to go to go about it. And then, like a slotted spoon, and just get them out. Yeah, of there. a strainer, or a, we call it a spider in the business, mm -hmm. which is a strainer. Scoop them out, put them on some paper towels, let them rest for a minute and just enjoy and, and they're fantastic again with the hoisin sauce you can use it with a mango chutney um, a mango puree anything along those lines um, a little sweet a little sweet something mm -hmm. a little sweet and a little tart is works out very very well oh I love that combination mm -hmm. we have a question about the sliders that you've made for today from Nick 
Bruce, and uh, what wine pairs best with the sliders? Oh, a wine to pair with the sliders. That's a challenging. Two I would go to immediately is uh, one would be a Riesling. It has that off-dry, a little bit of sweetness as well. Um, and I think Rieslings go very well with Asian food. Or if not, when all else fails, go to Champagne. Champagne goes with practically anything. So you can never go wrong with a bottle of Champagne or Prosecco. I would highly recommend that. But if the reason, if you're going for something specific, I think I would go with the Riesling. That sounds wonderful. And uh, we're going to talk some more about this, but we do have a question from Joseph Elira. And he's asking, how can I find out more about the American Culinary Federation? Sure. Uh, absolutely. The best way to do it is go to acfchefs.org. Um, that's the National Culinary uh, Federation website. And that website has all the information about the entire ACF. We do have a local chapter, uh, the, the ACF Cape and the Islands chapter. And that's acfchefscapecod.org. Uh, dot com, and that will uh, take you to our local chapter, and that will be probably more beneficial for those that are interested in getting involved in the chapter, restaurant owners, industry professionals. It will give you a little bit more specific information. But for the general information, acfchefs.org. That's mm -hmm. the best way to go. And one of the things that, that uh, you've done um, is to become the president, is it, of the yep. local – of, of – um, of a resurrected local uh, mm -hmm. Cape and Islands chapter. Sure. I know there was one several years ago, but it hadn't been active for a while. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to get that reactivated and uh, and what's happening with that. Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, the American Culinary Federation has chapters across the country, and we had one here in the past about 10 years ago on the Cape. Um, and we've since lost that cap chapter. And our only options as Cape Cod chefs were to go to either Boston or Providence for our chapter meetings. Those folks in Boston and Providence, although they have fantastic chapters, don't really address the needs of the chefs here on Cape Cod. We're pretty specific. I found that group. to be very, very true. <laughs> we're pretty specific. Peninsula group. chefs. Yes, peninsula chefs is right. And we have uh, particular needs, particular concerns, uh, particular education requirements. So myself, uh, several other chefs from the area, uh, including Chef Mickey Barrio, Dan Ferrari from the Hyannis Sport Club, and uh, Chef Joe from Baron Boots down in Falmouth, have uh, all come together. They're all officers of uh, the ACF, the local chapter. And we've started hosting meetings. We started last May. We've had seven meetings so far. Um, our chapter right now is uh, exceeding budget uh, in both terms of financially and uh, exceeding our goals uh, in terms of the number of members that we have signed up. We're very, very, very happy with the local support and very happy with um, the amount of purveyors and the folks in the locus, local business community have come out to support us. It's been a wonderful opportunity for us. Now, do you have to have a uh, do you have to be working in the culinary industry or do you have to have um, a, uh, you know, a degree or an, uh, or experience sure. to join the, the group? You don't. You need to have a love of food and a desire to show up and be educated. That's what you really need to have. We have all types of different memberships from professional uh, memberships, which I would, a mm. regular professional chef would, would use. We have associate memberships, which are for our purveyors and other businesses, um, such as um, guaranteeing fresh produce right here on the Cape. 
they want to be around the chefs. They want to support the chefs. And then you can also, we have retirees, people who are in the food service industry and since retired, there's a retiree membership. And also um, we have student memberships for those mm -hmm. at the uh, community colleges and the high schools. And we also have what's called a culinarians membership. And for someone maybe such as yourself who's into food, loves food, and wants to see what the chefs are doing in this industry, we um, invite you to come as well. That sounds wonderful. I have to uh, check out we, a meeting. We'd love to have you check, yeah, check it out. Which, and, and we can find information on that in on your website. Absolutely. You'll have the, both the national and our local website have uh, information on when the next meetings are and how you can contact one of us to get uh, more information. I'm so interested in the subject of uh, using local produce mm -hmm. and, and it's even growing, you know, local chickens, lo local poultry, sure. uh, uh, because you know, in the years I've been covering food, I've noticed that one of the challenges in that is to um, get a distribution system. Sure. So that'll be very interesting to see you guys working on that. Yeah, it, it is a challenge. There's a lot of beautifully produced food out there. Now, how do we get it to the chefs? How do we mm -hmm. get it to the consumer? So we're working with people such as Sid Wainer, Guaranteed Fresh Produce, who are already established produce companies, but now they're being used as... Uh, co-ops basically in order to get the local grown produce out there it's the distribution that makes it challenging for the exactly farmers. and and for the chefs too because the chefs need to count on the product being there um you know you need you need your produce for, for dinner yeah. <laughs> you need your vegetables for dinner so they need to be there so uh with these corporations and uh, such as, again, such as Sid Wainer and Guaranteed Fresh Produce, they're really starting to put uh, systems in place that are going to allow us to do that much better. And that's wonderful news because, you know, I've always felt like the farmers have such a big job, the chefs have such a big job, mm -hmm. there was a job in between connecting those two that, that didn't really exist in the past. Th there is, and the, the farmers do a great job growing it, and I think the chefs around here do a great job cooking it. We just need to get it to them, and that, that middleman is something that we're constantly working on. Now, I have to say that that there there is sort of a sad thing about having you here, even though you are the 2017 Northeast Region um, um, Best of, now I'm messing up because it's in the paper, but <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Sure. Uh, last year, I was fortunate enough to be named the Northeast Regional Chef of the Year for the American Culinary Federation. The American Culinary Federation has four regions, the Northeast being one of them. It encompasses everywhere from Ohio right up to New York, all the way up to Maine. So I was uh, a finalist there uh, as the Northeast Regional Chef of the Year. It was an absolute honor. Uh, to be named as such. There's so many great chefs here, uh, not just on the Cape, but in the entire Northeast, that it's an absolute honor uh, to, to, be, uh, to be named that. And it's, uh, I'm truly appreciative to all the people and also my culinary team because I can't do anything without my team. Um, I really can't. And they allowed me to take the time to compete and to do these things as well. And, you know, also uh, the folks um, at the Wiano Club, from right down from the upper management to the members, they all have played a large role in that and supporting me. So it's a, it's a group effort for sure. Well, congratulations to you and you. for making them proud and, and to them for, for giving you the time to do that. This, this sort of leads into a good question. People ask me this a lot. Um, what is a chef? How do you define a chef? Is it someone who um, has the culinary degree? Is it someone who leads the kitchen? Hmm. Uh, how do you how do, how you do define we define a chef? it? Well, I think um, 
in its most simple terms, it's someone who leads the kitchen. It's the chief. It's, mm -hmm. it's the person who is in charge of that area. Um, now, these days, there's been a lot of people out there that who are willing to call themselves chefs because they've graduated culinary school. Um, I think it's many things. And that's, again, why the American Culinary Federation has the Certified Executive Chef Standard and Certification is so that um, people will know um, what, what you've done, what training you have, and where you're going with your career. Uh, this is really the only one of the ways to establish that. Now, there are many uh, culinary schools that are all doing great work, but I think the industry experience is also needed. You have to be able to run a kitchen, work in the kitchen, and understand. To be able to lead? To be able to lead. Yeah. I lead a team of about 36 individuals in my kitchen, and they all have different personalities. They're all motivated in different ways, and you need to be able to learn to do that. And the old school way, if you will, of just throwing knives and pots and pans and yelling at everybody as the old classic French chefs used to do, it doesn't work anymore. So, <laughs> a little less authoritarian. <laughs> a little less. So you have to be able to, to know your staff and be able to motivate them as well. I am so pleased that you mentioned um, the staff because, and also that you mentioned uh, uh, Chef Mickey Berrio because mm -hmm. I remember one time he came out to say hello in the middle of a wedding that he was doing this huge event. And I said, how can you be out of the kitchen? He said, my staff does everything. <laughs> he, said, you know, he said, I can be out of the kitchen because I trust them. It, and it, It's so true. If you have a great staff, um, if you have a great staff, you really can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a question that came in, and I didn't catch a name on it, but uh, it was, uh, it was uh, have you, do you ever do any cooking demonstrations on TV? I don't really do much on TV um, in the way that uh, I work for a wonderful company, and they like me to work for them. Um, so what I do do is we have uh, charity events that I'll go out and I'll cook at different charity events. Other uh, restaurants are hosting charity events. I'll go out and cook there. But for the most part, I pretty much stay with the We Honor Club. I have been so impressed over the years at the charity efforts that, that chefs make on their own and also working with other chefs. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, a great and giving place to to be working, you know, as, as a follower of the industry and, and to see you guys doing that. Um, oh, I guess I read the sign wrong. They want to know if you watch cooking oh, shows. Oh, do I watch cooking shows? Um, I don't watch too many cooking shows, to be honest with you. I think their whole dynamic has shifted a little bit into the reality world. Um, <laughs> but I do watch the older ones, The uh, even Andrew Zimmerman. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, where they're going to new places, introducing new foods. I think that's wonderful. Um, although my my son, Jacob, who's seven, um, actually eight now, he just turned eight, um, loves cooking shows. So I'm finding myself being drawn back into that world. So it's it's a good thing, and it's a great thing for us to share together. They got me with the British baking show. <laughs> I do. Enjoy, yeah. I've seen the British baking show. I, I'm not a baker, so the idea that they can take a recipe and put it together in, in uh, four hours and really difficult instructions, you know, yeah. uh, that amazes me. Plus, I don't know a lot of the um, a lot of the products they're making because it's from all over mm -hmm. the world. So mm -hmm. you get to learn uh, as you go. You Absolutely. Know? So that educational piece, that's what makes food fun. 
There's so much to learn about food. It's just and wonderful. In my weakest area, so that's, that's <laughs> it. but and they don't do the. They do a little bit of the um, of the reality thing, mm -hmm. but but not quite as much. Although I have, um, I have to tell you, I have met some TV chefs who are are wonderful to talk with. Mm -hmm. You know, Bobby Flay and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you know, it is kind of fun. But you're right, they the music and the lights it gets kind of hyped up. It does get hyped up yeah. for sure. So. And, uh, it certainly changed over the years, and I think what's what's great at the end of the day, people care about food. They're watching food. They're watching chefs. It just makes it better for the industry. Yeah, that's true. I, I like the opportunities that it gives to people. Absolutely. There's recently a chef from the Upper Cape Regional School that uh, was uh, doing cookies for a contest mm -hmm. on one of the networks. But I did want to ask you, when you mentioned charity, now, um, because the Wiano Club is a private club, mm -hmm. you have to be a member to eat there. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted to eat your food, mm -hmm. we would need to go to one of the charity events mm -hmm. that you were doing. And I think you do have an appearance coming up that you mentioned soon. We're at, uh, is that a, that a public appearance over at Cape Cod Beer? Or? Oh, we're just doing, um, it won't actually, although we do do fundraising at this event, the local event for the ACF chapter will be held at Cape Cod Beer uh, in Hyannis. Um, Todd Marcus and, and all of them were wonderful uh, in supporting us. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be doing any cooking there. Um, <laughs> well, fortunately for me, I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. Um, but I don't have any uh, public events coming up on the horizon, but I'll certainly reach out to you and let you know if I do have something. Okay, and, and we'll keep an eye on the, on the website as well. Sure. And we have about uh, 60 seconds left, so I'm going to ask you, if you were advising someone who was interested in becoming a chef, what would, you know, like when people ask me, uh, I want to be a writer, I say, sure. read, read, read. Right. What would you advise a chef? Uh, same, same similar situation. One is to read, read, read cookbooks, everything else you can, and then go and cook. Find a nice restaurant with a nice reputation. Go in there, even if you're working for free, go cook, go live the life, see what it's like, because it is a challenging life and there's a lot um, to learn. If you love it, that's all that matters. Keep pursuing it. Um, but definitely go cook. Cook somewhere. It's the best advice I can give. <laughs> Chef, we can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, for those who joined you late, we are here with Chef Michael J. Pillarelli, and uh, we are glad that you were able to bring us a Super Bowl recipe and some advice on, on becoming a chef on the Cape. Thank you so much for uh, coming. It's been my pleasure, Gwen. Thank you all very, very much. I truly appreciate it. Join us again next week for Life with Gwen.